Welcome to the New Freedom Church podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. Of that, many lay people, you know, either you're a professional clergy or you're a layman, many laymen, many lay people just say, well, I don't understand that, so we're going to leave it up to the prophecy teachers, the ones that really know how it all works out. And many of us have seen these, these charts that, that are great diagrams of, of events, and this happens here, and then this happens there, and then this will happen next, and, you know, and all this laid out. Those very first started in about 1912 with a man named Clarence Larkin. You can look up his name. Clarence Larkin was a, a woodworker, and, and actually he became a, a great Bible uh, scholar. And he went home and he started out of wood to make these charts and these, these diagrams. And uh, uh, it was jokingly said later on in the 1960s that if God ever has a f- hard time trying to figure out what the end times events are, he'll just ask Clarence Larkin to explain it to him. <laughs> because you cannot find in your Bible one of those charts in the back. That, that, that's not scripture. That is someone's interpretation of how those things play out. And, and that's okay. It's a secondary issue. Somebody say, that's Okay. But here's what we have to also know. There is no longer an excuse with the day we live in, with the the media explosion, with YouTube at your fingertips, with all kinds of internet searches available, there's no longer an excuse for us to stay ignorant and not do a little bit of research for ourselves. Let's just say, for example, that this Bible represented a globe of the world. Let's say that this represented a globe of the world. And you wanted to go somewhere. You wanted to drive, get in your car, and you wanted to travel, and you wanted to go somewhere. So from that globe, you would create and go look for an atlas. You might, might have someone created it, and you go, you'll find an atlas. And in this atlas, there are lots of different roadways and ways to get to a certain location. You're looking for a destination. But what, let's just say that I said, okay, that atlas is awfully confusing. Why don't you take this map of Ohio? It's my favorite place. I was born there. I'm a Buckeye. I love Ohio. It's got some of the most beautiful sights and places you could ever see. Why bother with that confusing atlas when you could just be in Ohio? And, and, and also, if you venture too far out of Ohio, then they're going to speak a different language. They don't speak Ohio Kentuckian in most places. It's dangerous out there. Just stay with Ohio. Would you be just a little bit curious what else is in this roadmap? Or let's say that in, in the field of, of medicine, let's say that if, if you were, um, if this was the human body, let's say this Bible was the human body, just for, for example, and from that human body there was written a book that had all the different uh, anatomy and diagrams. There's a knee that needs replaced, a hip, there's a, there's a heart, all these different things. But let's say that that's so confusing And I have a really good friend who's a foot doctor. And I say, you know what? Really, you just need this book. Don't worry about how complex and how confusing. You need this book. It's the best. My friend's a doctor. He can take care of your feet. Don't worry about all. Would you be just a little bit curious how the heart works? Would you want to know about neuroscience just a little bit? Would you want to know about some other fields of medicine? Like there's holistic or there's general practice. There's homeopathic. There's infectious disease treatment. There's vaccines, experimental trials, modern medicine. Would you want to know? Would you be curious? And this is how I learned eschatology up until my 30s, is that honestly, I didn't even know that other denominations, other born-again Bible-believing scholars took vastly different approaches 
than the one that I was taught specifically about end times. I only learned one system. Now, that being said, I have done a lot of research on this since then. Since my 30s, I've done a lot of study, and some of it, you know, here's what you have to do with secondary issues. You have to eat the chicken and throw out the bones. Not everything's going to be edible. Not everything's going to be uh, pliable or, or available for you. It's not everything is going to be uh, in the best for you to have. And there are lots of ideas. There are lots of theories surrounding the topic of eschatology, the study of last things. And mostly in Western Christian circles, there are three schools of thought. There's premillennial, amillennial, and postmillennial. There's pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. And so I am not going to toy with your theology on the three and a half to seven years of this debate. The three and a half to seven years of this debate are so complex and they can be so entrenched that people, they, they, they will fight you over these. And I'm not going to go there today. But what I do want to look at is the day of the Lord. Because this is the thing, this is the epic event that we can all come to agreement on. And this is the final thing. Jesus is coming again. This same Jesus which you see going will come again in like manner. So, it's impossible to read the Bible. It's impossible to read the Old Testament and not realize that it's pointing to something beyond our mortal earthly existence. The prophets of old and those of the New Testament had a sense that there was some culminating event that was to take place. There was something that was going to happen, and they called it, hear me, the day of the Lord. The Old Testament prophets called this the day of the Lord. We know it as the day of the Lord, the second coming, the return of Christ. It is the end of human history as we know it, but the beginning of something even far better. It is the end of time as we know it, but that doesn't mean that there's not something next. And so let me read to you a, a couple selected verses. There are 15 verses in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord. I'm going to read them quickly. Uh, for your edification, I have printed these. They're at the information desk. If you're watching us online, just Click in there that you want to uh, copy these. We'll send those to you. You can pick them up at the desk. If we run out, we'll have more next week for you. But I want to go through these quickly because this is the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, just a few verses, which is in their term, Yahweh Yom Adonai, the day of the Lord. Isaiah 13, wail for the day of the Lord is at hand. It has come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp, every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pains and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman is in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Verse 9, behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with both wrath and fear anger, fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. Who's he going to destroy? It's sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellation will not give light. The sun will be darkened and it's going forth. And the moon will not cause its light to shine. Joel 1, 15. Alas, for the, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Joel 2, 1. It says, blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. For it is at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains of people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be 
after them, even for many successive generations. If we transition to the New Testament, we hear the phrase, the day of the Lord, but then it also takes a little turn. It goes into the day of Jesus or the day of Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, for his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So they added Jesus to the day of the Lord because of the New Testament writer's revelation of who Jesus was. He is, was that Lord and he is currently that king. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul the Apostle writing here, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and the gathering together of him, we ask you not to be soon shaken or troubled in mind. Notice here that even in Paul's day, people were concerned. They were worried. They were fearful of this day. And they even had these questions. Have we missed it? Has he already come and we didn't see it? Have we been left to to suffer with the, the wicked? He says, don't be troubled in mind or either by spirit or by word or letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. He's saying, this hasn't happened yet. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless a following away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is a God. Philippians 1 and 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord. So this is just a a quick overview. And I'm I'm going to give those to you. If you want those, uh, you can study these scriptures. You can do an online search. Here's the, the peril about preaching in 2023 is that everybody is a scholar today. Everybody has a computer in their pocket. You can check me out in real time, fact check me if what I'm saying is real. And you know what? I encourage you, get your phone out, fact check me. That's okay. Be like the Brians that they studied to know, that they they wanted to see, is this true? Is Is what Paul and what the apostles are teaching, is this true? Go ahead, study it. Find it out for yourself. Be a scholar. You can be a scholar. It doesn't take Bible degrees to be a scholar. You can do this. And so this is a quick overview. Now, let me give you some characteristics of what we just read. We just read lots of verses that every one of them could have a full-length message in and of itself. For sake of time, we're not going to do that. But I do want to give you a synopsis of some characteristics of the day of the Lord. What is this transition point? What will happen at this time? Well, here are some characteristics. There's going to be battle. There's going to be war. And there's going to be destruction. So far, that doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? There's going to be nations gathering against Jerusalem. Okay, now now stop. Wait a minute. But Pastor Joe, don't you know about 70 AD? Yes, I know about 70 AD. Josephus wrote extensively about the first century. He, He didn't write anything that was scripture, but he was a Jewish scholar of the time, a writer. And he wrote extensively about these Christ followers, these people named Christians. He wrote about Jesus. You can read Josephus' work from the first century, and you can see that he wrote about 70 AD, about the destruction, about the armies gathering around Jerusalem. So something very real and very prophetic happened in 70 AD. You could say that at 70 AD, there was a very real end of the world. It was the end of the Jewish world as they knew it because their temple was destroyed, the sacrificial system stopped, and it has never, ever been rebuilt. Hear me, That's, that temple has never been rebuilt for 2,000 years almost, never been rebuilt. It was the end of time, the time of the Jewish sacrificial system in Jerusalem. But another characteristic of the day of the Lord is that God intervenes 
in that surrounding of Jerusalem, and the righteous, the, the unrighteous are judged. God intervenes. In 70 AD, God did not intervene. He allowed the destruction of that temple. God didn't intervene. So that cannot be the apocalyptic or the prophetic day of the Lord the way that we read in these verses. It can be a day of the Lord, but it wasn't the day of the Lord. Also, another characteristic is judgment of the unrighteous. In the day of the Lord, there's going to be astrological signs. What are those? Signs in the sky, celestial events. It talked about the moon turning to blood. It talked about the clouds coming in, the stars falling from the sky. There's going to be also at the day of the Lord, the great resurrection. That means those who have gone to the grave, their graves are going to open. This is the the great hope for those who have died in the Lord, is that we don't just uh, uh, have have a, a, a hope for this world like others do, but we have a hope for life after death in the eternal Eden with God, in God's very own city. The great resurrection, that didn't happen at 70 AD. End of death. It says at the day of the Lord that there will be no more death. Death is swallowed up in victory. There is no more death. Yahweh will be king over all the earth and all nations. There will be a new heavens and new earth. So some of these things did happen in 70 AD. But the the unrighteous was not judged on a whole whole wide scale. In fact, it was the unrighteous that destroyed the temple. Uh, The great resurrection didn't happen in 70 AD, and neither did the end of death. Last I looked, there's still people dying. I just did a funeral last week. Did did two the week before that. I mean, there's still people who are dying. And so we know that certain things happen, but not everything happened. I want to bring your attention to a quote by by a... uh, uh, Baptist professor of New Testament who died in 1982. He lived from 1911 to 1982. His name was George Ellen Ladd. And he calls this the biblical theology of two ages. Everybody say two ages. And the Bible talks about this. There is the present age, and we live in this present age, this present evil age, this present earthly age, and there is an age to come. So he talks about the the biblical theology of two ages. We have this yearning inside of us that there is more to this life than was measuring up. That there is something, even the people who have found their deepest purpose, those that have gone through wonderful breakthroughs and they've created wonderful companies and they've relieved humanity's suffering in certain ways, whether it be medicine or food distribution or great inventions to, to help ease suffering, even those kinds of people will tell you there is a yearning, there is desire, there is something on the inside that there is more. This isn't all that this life is. And so he talks about the current age, the present age, and the age not to come. So the already things that are happening with God in our lives and the not yet. There is still not yet a consummation, a fullness of those things. And he writes this. All the sweep of redemptive history is divided into two ages separated by the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the great transition point where this present age folds into the age to come. This is the one thing that every one of these books, maybe except one or two, have in common is that we are anticipating, we are looking for that great day of the Lord. Now, all this can seem overwhelming, maybe even a little bit frightening, but actually, this is good news. It's a day that we can look forward to. Of course, we don't look forward to all the war and all the animosity and all the fighting. We see that in our, our time right now. We don't look forward to that part of it. We don't look forward 
to the judgment of the unrighteous. Our hearts should weep over the judgment of unrighteous people. We should have such a desire that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Why? Because that's the will of our Father as well. We know it plain from Scripture that it is God's will that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. So we don't look forward to that. But here's what we already know in our broken world, our present world all around us. We realize that human governments, though they try and they throw money at the situation, they can never produce a lasting peace. Hear me. There will not be lasting peace in Israel until Jesus, the King of peace, comes and sets all things right. Our hope is in the redemptive aspects of the Lord's return. That redemptive peace, they can come, I'm, I'm getting ready to close. That redemptive peace is putting all things right. It means this, the bad guys lose and the good guys win. That is putting all things to right. Story after story from childhood all the way through adult and even Hallmark movies have this theme. The good guys win, the bad guys lose. This is the grand epic of the day of the Lord. Also, the defeating of death forever. What is it that we fear? We fear death because it's unknown. We try vigorously to stay alive and to stay young and to, to really uh, pamper our flesh and to take care of ourselves so that we can live forever. The reality is you're going to live forever somewhere. Somewhere. Either a life after this death in eternity with God or one separated from him. The choice is yours. But on the day of the Lord, he will defeat death forever and the setting up of his eternal kingdom. You can read about that in Revelation 19, 20, 21, 22. You can read about what the new heavens and the earth, this global Eden will look like. And next week, what I want to do is I want to share with you how this message practically impacts us, how it impacts us in the here and now. How then shall we live? What do we do with this information now that we know it? How do we live until that day arrives? How then shall we live? And if you've ever wondered about these things, if you've ever worried about these things, and to be honest with you, we all have. We've all wondered about it and perhaps even fretted or worried about it. We have all to some degree, to the best way we can, tried to relieve that worry. But there's only one way to fully relieve any kind of fear or worry about that day. And that is to heed the call of Jesus when he says, come, follow me. I will make you disciples. If you have never heeded that call, if you have heard that message that God loves you, that he sent his one and only son to die a sacrificial death for you, that he rose on the third day so that you might have eternal life, and all that you have to do is believe. You don't have to work harder. You don't have to uh, say all these special prayers. All you have to do is believe. The Bible says that with the heart, one believes under righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made. That means we repent, we turn around, we go the opposite way. We change our mind about the way we've been living and we focus intently upon God. With heads bowed and no one looking around, between you and the Lord today, 
If you're in here and you're just not really sure about your destiny, you're not really sure what would happen if that day of the Lord were to arrive right now, what, where you would go, what would happen to you, then you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're ready to meet your maker. With heads bowed and no one looking around, I'm going to ask you to do something boldly. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. Uh, preacher, you're trying to trick me to get me to come up front. No, I'm not going to trick you. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and take it right back down. If you need to know today, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you belong to Jesus and that you are going with him after this life, just raise your hand up and take it right back down. You, 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 you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. I saw about nine hands go up. I, I couldn't count that fast, but God bless you. I want to I encourage you to do something. We're going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask every person in this room and those watching us online, I want you to pray this prayer out loud. You say, but pastor, I've already prayed that prayer before. Well, pray it again. You might just encourage someone beside you to pray it for the very first time. And then I'm going to encourage you to do one other thing after we pray. I want you to tell someone. Tell someone that you made this decision, that you stepped across this line of faith today and you made Jesus your Savior and your Lord. Here's the prayer. Let's pray it together. Dear God, I come to you today just like I am. I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin. I confess my sin. I believe that Jesus died for me that he rose on the third day. I put my trust in him today. And I now say I am a believer. Jesus is my savior and my Lord. Amen. Hey, let's put our hands together. The angels are rejoicing today. Praise God. Let's worship with the team.